0: Welcome to the Dimes Alone podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Beale. This podcast episode, which was recorded in the summer of 2020, will feature my good friend Trevor and I discussing population decline and lowering fertility rates. We hope you enjoy.
1: I'm one of your hosts, Trevor Glenn, alongside my good friend, Scott Beale. And actually, Um, so I said that I am uh, one of your hosts, but this is actually kind of Scott's brainchild. uh, And I'm just getting the pleasure to introduce our first episode of the podcast. So Scott, would you like to uh, explain a little bit more about what you're going to be talking about and uh, why you wanted to create the Dimes Alone podcast?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Thanks for that intro, Trevor. Yeah, so I have had a couple, I've had a couple friends who've, done podcasts before i know that you and your brother did one that i really love to listen to i'm not gonna say it because i i know know. but y'all did one i really enjoyed and a friend osagi he does one with friend chris that one's a pretty good one and then i've also had roommates who did a sports one as well so i don't want to shout their names out because i didn't get permission to use them but um yeah, so I've had people who have had podcasts. I've been around them, and I've really enjoyed listening to them. And then I've also had ideas with them, and I'm like, man, I want them to discuss this. And I've done what I could to like let it be known. But then I started thinking, man, I wonder if people are also like me and would want to talk about it. Maybe not like going over a whole series of podcasts over a topic, but if they just wanted to come once and said like just let their passions out for thirty minutes, yeah. like people just have a passion that they can talk about forever and ever and ever. It's like, I just wanted to give them that opportunity. And so, um, yeah, that's kind of the hope behind the Dimes Alone podcast. So, yeah, in addition to that, let's kind of get into what I wanted to talk about today. So, what
1: are you passionate about or what is one of your passions that you want to discuss?
0: Yes. Okay. So, one of the passions I wanted to discuss and the one I want to talk about today is something that I heard a long time ago. I was listening to one of my favorite pastors. who's given giving a sermon, and he mentioned a documentary he had seen. And he said the results of it were, were staggering. And I listened to it, and I was like, there's no way. Like, this is made up. Like, what he was saying was made up. And the documentary was talking specifically about population decline. And I was just like, we are a growing population. Like, I remember when I was a kid, I thought I heard them say 6 billion. But now we're almost... Like we're getting closer to 8 billion. You know, if you look at it, the population, I was like, this
1: guy, what is,
0: why is this guy that I look up to talking about this? It's ridiculous. But I started looking into it and doing a, like watching, not just the documentary he recommended, but more documentaries, news reports, listening to professors uh, talk about these things and just trying to research as much as I could. And I I just found some really just interesting things that I, I, I wish people would know and I could just talk about a lot. So here's one of the conversations. So,
1: And you're talking about population decline.
0: Did I not say that? Popula- it's population yeah. decline slash fertility rates because I think that they, they do play hand in hand and a little bit in population control is what is the old term. Now it's called uh, actually reproductive health is what they usually call it now, reproductive education. Um and there were just some really interesting things and I'll I'll put at the very end of the podcast I'll just say where I got this information from. So if anyone's like really angry at me, I'd love to have a conversation with you. But, but I also check the,
1: check the sources. Just to
0: check the sources, yeah. And if if there's something I say is controversial. Don't
1: shoot the messenger. Yeah,
0: don't shoot the messenger. Excellent. Thank you for that. So yeah, uh, There's a lot, but I'm going to just try and keep it in a pretty condensed, uh, kind of like a teaser almost if you wanted to learn more about it. That's where you can access these resources, I'll say, at the very end. So just trying to get it kicked off. So just the the first thing I feel like I need to mention is just this idea of the difference between population control and the idea of population and fertility rates. And so population control is actually the act of either increasing, but normally means decreasing a population to be optimal, Um, whether that be from really bad things. Um, For example, you had Hitler and Nazis, right? They were trying to decline and eliminate the population of the Jewish people in Europe. And so there's, there's a forceful population control. And then you've also got kind of more, it's in the realm of education population control, which is kind of more what we can get to a little bit later, but it's the idea of that kind of Margaret Sanger had. Um, and she is, some people may have heard her name. She's actually one of the founders, if not the kind of flaghead founder of Planned Parenthood in the right. US. The way that she did it with population control education, trying to give women especially the ability to choose whether or not they wanted to have a child. Mm-hmm. And so not just the idea of abortion, but in a sense of just access to contraceptives. And so like that's another way population control is is mentioned. So, and the fertility rate just means how many children that a woman who is in her childbearing years needs to have in order for that population to stay exactly the same. So 2.1, um, cause that would produce, you know, that would be a man and a woman. So mm-hmm. they would be able to reproduce another man than a woman. So that's kind of the idea. Um, and the 2.1, obviously they're people who pass away and fertility rate means women who can actually bear children. One in eight women struggle with fertility. And so they, uh, 2.1 makes up for the potential lack in that circumstance. So, so those that just want to get those vocabulary out there. So if you look at the history of kind of fertility rates and population decline and population control, you can even look back as far as Julius Caesar. Mm -hmm. Um, He actually addresses his knights, And one of the reasons that he addresses them is, uh, is saying we're going to free slaves that we've had because we don't have enough people. And some people will attribute the sterilization. Um, There's some thoughts that possibly there was chemicals that were in their resources, like maybe in the water supply that may have contributed to their decline as from the inside. So yes, they were attacked from the outside by invaders, but there was also some problems with just keeping a strong working class and soldiers within the within Julius Caesar and Rome. And so some people say that that could have been the reason for uh, a contributor to the fall of Rome. And you can see it in Polybius uh, mentions it in like around like two, 200 BC, I think is kind of the same idea for the Greeks. Like, there is this idea that for some reason, when our population, when we start to have lower fertility rates and our population starts to eventually decline, we become weaker mm-hmm. and then we're more susceptible to harm. Right. And so, uh, you can, there's there's all sorts. So, the idea that kind of continued out was uh, Thomas Malthus. He had an idea of people are poor. You know, some people say, oh, well, if the population declines, doesn't that mean that there'll be more for the rest of us? Well... The idea that Thomas Malthus had was very much that. He was saying that um, he was in the 1700s, he was uh, English, I think I heard clergy, but he's also kind of a researcher, is that his idea was that there would be too many people in the world and people would go hungry, which we know that hunger is a problem in the world. And Malthus, one researcher scholar now says like Malthus' idea was that in his mind, more people brought more mouths to feed, but he didn't really take into account that more people meant more hands to work, Mm. if that makes sense. And so Thomas Malthus kind of, his ideas led to Charles Darwin's ideas about theory of population and food, especially the food chain. Like there's not going to be enough food for us to, uh, to, for animals to eat. And therefore they're going to have to compete with one another. Uh, And this later inspired Charles Darwin's cousin, Francis Goltan, who was the kind of the founder of eugenics, which if you don't know what eugenics are, it is the thing I was talking about earlier with population control, specifically in the sense of trying to promote a stronger human race. It's the idea that Hitler gave to the to the Nazis about trying to make a strong Aryan race. And not
1: always does it it's not always a racially biased thing, Mm -mm. but in most cases of how it's played out in history is that there is a racial minority that is oppressed as a result
0: yeah and that's very true. I was just trying to give the the history of that. So so some of you may have this idea that like we said earlier population is continuing to rise. Um the projections are by 20 I think 50 it should be around Nine billion maybe maybe a little bit more than that and then maybe by the end of the century it, it's it's been different research because as populations change year to year like the new research would suggest new trends but the idea of I've never seen any of the population expectations to go over 11 million uh, 11 billion like 11 billion is where they're thinking it's going to cap and we will go a little bit further into that um, but you may be thinking well, why do we have all this overpopulation stuff? Like my parents have always talked about, my grandparents talked about overpopulation. There's just too much, too many people, you know? And uh, a lot of that came from Paul Ehrlich. I think I said his name, right? He was a PhD at Stanford, a professor of biology and population studies in the 1970s with his wife. He wrote the book, The Population Bomb, in which basically just contained all this, these predictions of how there was going to be a lack of food, kind of this continued repetition of thought from Thomas Malthus all the way down to him. like There was going to be a lack, and especially for him, environmental chaos was going to happen from it. Soil and green type future. It was going to be really bad. So he gave a couple different scenarios. This is actually from pages 78 to 80 in his book. He had a scenario in which we would be able to help the earth as well as have enough food for everyone on it. And the idea was that the U.S. and developed countries would stop sending aid to, quote, hopeless populations until the world population was around 1.5 billion. Yes. That would be, and that's, guys, that means a lot of people are dying. Yeah. So it, like some some crazy ideas, um, but it was a bestseller. It had 13 reprintings, and that book, not him, but that book is listed as one of the top 10 most dangerous books of the 20th century. But people just ate it up. Some things that continued after that was that the United Nations started to get more involved in it. Um, the United Nations started to, in 1983, they actually awarded their Population Award of the Year to Family Planning Commission Chairman for China. At that point, they had administered their one-child policy in the 19, I think in 1978. 1978. In 1983, they listed the Chairman as the Person of the Year for the UN because he had actually had forced sterilization on people. Like they were not allowed to have children anymore. And so the UN um, in 2009, they actually, some people are saying, well, if this thing is kind of like bad, like I'm saying, or I'm not trying to say it's bad, but all these things are happening, like it's a dangerous book with the population bomb, like why has the UN not stepped in? In fact, they have stepped in and they are actually applauding those who have allowed for fertility decline to happen. And they actually had a report saying that 43% of the population decline in poorer countries are a result of their family planning programs. So they're not just saying like, oh, like this is happening. They're actually saying, no, it's happening because we're trying to decrease the population size. And right. so some people may be thinking, is this really a big deal if our population size? decreases?" I mean, yeah, the Romans kind of, they started to filter out. The Greeks kind of had some troubles. But like, is it really that big of a deal, you know? Um, for the and global population. For the global to population. To yeah, exactly. For the, is it a big deal if the global population declines? And and that's the question that they're trying to kind of address uh, in this talk is that I'm just going to try and give some uh, have so much history but I'm just going to try and give some for the rest of our time the causes of low fertility or why this declining population is happening as well as some of the uh, implications of it: economic, ecological, social implications so looking throughout all the resources there was five or six that continually popped up as causes of why population decline will happen and why fertility rates are continuing to drop because that's the main problem is that population decline is happening because the fertility rates are dropping one of the causes for fertility rates are dropping is the working women population is growing which is great that's not a bad thing that women are becoming more educated they're actually in some areas they're outperforming men educationally in schools attendance as well as just in grades so it's like it's not a bad thing that women are working they're getting more educated and they're contributing more to society that's not a bad thing mm-hmm. uh but it is causing because you get into that workplace you get into your career you may put off having a child for later and later yeah. then you start you run out of time to have that child right. um it's just kind of a fact of what's happening with biology another one is prosperity and affluence just the idea that the more money you have you would think the more money you'd have to take care of children but most of the time with prosperity and economic growth you people want to spend money on themselves like they worked hard why would they want to give that money to something that's not going to contribute for 18 years you know (laughs) the idea of the sexual revolution kind of took away the traditional ideas and responsibility of having a family like it was about how can I gratify myself and have as many sexual partners as I can but not contribute to actually having a family not be tied down so that revolution that happened in the mid-1900s was a part of why we see today the fertility rates dropping. Mm -hmm. Something that they call the divorce revolution. It's the idea that because divorces are a lot more common, why would people want to have a child with someone that they could not expect to be there the next year? If you can't trust that person's going to be there, then it's going to cause problems um, to take care of that child. You see that divorces, I mean, research has shown consistently that divorces – Are not helping children. Like the idea of like, oh well, you've got two full families providing for a child. Like that's not the case. Like children thrive psychologically by having good, like seeing their parents have a good relationship with one another. Mm -hmm. And there's just been so much research done to to prove that. So I'm not going to get too far into that. And then the last two are misconceptions based on the media and non-researchers. So this idea like, oh, there's going to be too much. There's going to be too many people, too many children, too many mouths to feed. It's it's not going to be enough for our society like we've got to have less children in order that there will
1: be more for everyone else so people actually kind of view it as a responsibility of we're not going to have kids so that we don't contribute more to this problem
0: yeah Uh, and the last one would be like i said physical reasons for infertility one in eight women uh, are struggling with fertility issues and so like those six reasons like they kind of all combine to this idea that the fertility rate is dropping and that women are having children less and less. Currently, many European countries are below the 2.1, just the reproducing rate. And if you've ever seen any of those weird commercials, um, Denmark's got one. I think Poland has one. I don't know if Sweden has a commercial yet, but they have some huge campaigns to actually in- increase their fertility rate. right? Um, because of what we're going to get into right now, the implications of what happens if population starts to decline due to the lack of fertility or the lack of women and men having children and, you know, uh, populating the earth. The economic implications are probably the most staggering to many people. So, um, first off, you've got this idea. There's going to be, for example, in the U.S., there was the baby boom Mm -hmm. and where a lot of people were having children post-war because of economic growth and, 1961, I believe, is the height of the baby boom population. Now, every year after that, the fertility rates are dropping, for the most part, maybe one or two years that are outliers, but now you've got this huge population. Uh, when they were children and they were becoming more working class, it was great. The economy was booming because you had so many people who were working in society. But as that class gets older and older, like they, that means that the oldest or the the biggest group of people are the old, retired population. Mm-hmm. And so when this, we call it a, a population pyramid, because it looks like a pyramid. The older you are, the less people there are because people have passed away. But because the population boom with the baby boomers,
1: is
0: it's an inverted pyramid. And it's something that Japan sees probably the most staggering right now. Well, the idea is if you've got so many people who are now retired, well, how does our how does our retirement system work? The social security. It's based off of the working class. The working class is providing to the class above them. Well, if your baby boomer generation, the largest population group, is the retired class that's not contributing to society, that means the smaller working class, their children, who have declined in fertility rates, they are having to work way harder in order to account for the massive retiring class. And so what you're having there is that some financial implications of that is real estate problems. Mm-hmm. There's not going to be enough people to buy houses because you're not going to have enough people to fill houses. Like We've got so many houses in the US. People are constantly building and building. But if you're not having the bodies to put into the houses, like your real estate market is going to crash, mm-hmm. which is a huge part of the economy. <clears throat> some parts of Spain and Italy have already faced this. They've got many homes that have been abandoned because of The people are having to leave their rural villages to go seek out job opportunities. um, And they're having to abandon villages. Right now, the one that sticks out most to mind is actually uh, Nagoro in Japan. They used to have 300 people there about 20 years ago, I think. They only have 27 people there now. uh, And the youngest person is 55 years old. And so they're just an aging, dying village. Like There may not be people there anymore um, in the next couple of years. And so this idea that... Because the largest population group is going to be the oldest population group, the young are actually going to have to work harder to provide for them. So there's two ideas that can offset providing for that older class. One is you just got to find a way to increase the, not really the fertility, but increase the working labor class. Well, how do you do that? Well, if you're not people aren't having children, you got to find them from somewhere else. Mass immigration. Mm. So the U.S. actually has a fertility rate lower than that of, so we're not at a reproducing rate the only reason our population grows or stays around the same is because the immigration that we receive Mm. if it wasn't for people immigrating into this country still today we would be suffering from population decline which we see can lead to these economic struggles where the working class is smaller having to provide for a larger aging class and so other ways that that may happen is you have an increase in taxes because it's the only way that the government is going to have enough to provide for the older people. There may be an increase in taxes in order to have funds for the older people, but that causes a cyclical problem. Mm. If you're increasing taxes for the working class, they may need to find ways to cut expenses. Not and if you case. didn't, and if you didn't know that, children are very expensive. Yeah, eighteen years of providing for someone who can't provide until eighteen years. So that would cause them to have less children, which would then make it harder it's just a cyclical problem it's going to make it harder for the next working class to provide for their family and so that's some of the economic problems um some people uh associate this with harvey dent is a uh harvey dent? sorry harry dent <laughs> yes i I, to I noticed that yes that i was like wait is this batman's villain i can't trust anything no harry dent <laughs> he got an mba from harvard and he yes. he he saw a uh yeah, that's where I came from, Harvard, Harvey, Harvey. He noticed that the S&P 500, which is a stock index, uh, correlated very much with the fertility rates and population growth from the baby boomers. And there's a 49-year gap. Well, the height or 48-year gap, the height of baby boom is 1961. What happened in 2009? Stock market crash. 2008, 2009, it was a stock market. And like, there's a lot of things that played into that. But at 48 was around the time that people stopped spending as much and they started saving. Well, if your largest group of baby boomers went from a spending idea to a saving idea, spending drives the economy because spending shows uh, businesses where they need to invest. It's like, oh, a lot of people buy touchscreen. We need to invest in touchscreen. Like we need to do research and development in this product, which creates productivity and jobs for other people, mm-hmm. which provide for the consumers, which provide for – it's a cycle of economic growth but kind of like what we said if there's less people less labor force or an incentive not to have children which will affect the next year's labor force it's a cyclical decline of the economy and there's there's more in economic effects you know some people may think about oh well china's had a huge boom in economy and they had the one child policy like how do you explain that well kind of look at that What happened in 2003 in China that we now know a lot more about today? The SARS virus. Mm. The reason why the SARS virus wasn't as prolific as it could have been was because China's markets were kind of closed off a little bit. They're not as open as they are today. Mm. China's markets are way more open. So most uh, economic researchers that I listened to that I was reading were claiming that China's one-child policy is not helping their economy. The reason that I had that boom it was not because of the population decline, but it was because of the or the fertility rates dropping, but it's because of the markets opening. So, mm-hmm. that would, to, to some people would have, I know, thought about that one. But, and Japan faces, they're the third largest economy in the world, is Japan. They're facing the very same struggles, and CNA has a, a fantastic uh, about 50-minute news piece on them. Um, Some of the, so we'll we'll do social implications and environmental implications. Um, So social implications, kind of what we've already, uh, we've said with the idea of like people losing, um, with fertility rates declining, uh, populations starting to decline, the working force especially starting to decline. Well, throughout history for mankind, Trevor, what happens when you have a lack of working class?
1: I'm going to go out on a limb and say a very, a lack of a working class. A
0: lack of a working class to do labor.
1: Uh, you don't have an
0: economy. You don't have an economy. And if you have got to force yourself to get a working class, slavery. Uh, slavery, indentured servitude. Now, the idea of slavery as a sense of a working, it's outlawed. You know, right. it's, not, it's not something that's okay. So... This crazy idea that people have started to do, and it, it really is a terrible idea, is essentially the new way of, of screwing over developing economies and developing nations, is that you will go, and what you want is you want a more educated working class if you can, mm-hmm. and so you go to countries that are still developing, that don't have as many people, who are more in the educated working class that you're looking for, and you take as many as you can from them. Brain drain. Brain drain. Labor drain. Particularly, this class has been males who are around that age of like 15 to 30, that kind of working class age. That's leaving their families with the promise of one day I'll be able to bring them with me. But that's leaving these families without fathers who are not able to help provide for their families or sons or brothers, whatever their situation is. And so they're taking these people who have skills and they're using them to, honestly, it's mainly taking it and trying to improve the West or keep the West afloat as opposed to other developing countries. At the expense of the other developing countries. And so it's terrible because you're stunning the growth of these people and you're telling them, Oh, you shouldn't have as many kids. It's like, well, we're just trying to get our economy going, you know, like we're just trying to become a non, you know, we're not trying to be a developed or developing country anymore, but you're taking everything that we're trying to do, you know. And so that's some potential social implications is that there are you know, countries who are a lot more open to immigration because they know that there's problems with it. Um, and yet they are not trying to increase fertility for the most part. Like I said, we said the UN is actually applauding fertility decline and applauding population decline because they think it's going to help. But mm-hmm. at the same time, there is particularly a problem with the West of taking these skilled laborers and brilliant minds and draining them out of developing countries instead of letting them develop their country from the inside. That's, that's been one thing that's been brought up as a social implication to the fertility rate declining and population decline. Um, well, another thing is, uh, elderly people just not getting the same care, um, from family members. Mm-hmm. Um, in Japan, they've got, there's a lot of nursing homes starting to open up and there's not a lot of people to take care of them. So they're actually, in, they're actually trying to, and, uh, research and invest into artificial intelligence and robotics to try and take care of the elderly, oh. which is, it's interesting and it's, and it's great that they're finding resources to try and do what they can, but it's still having a social effect on the elderly, yeah. um.
1: Cause I mean, traditionally it's your family that's supposed to be doing that and if there's not enough children and grandchildren mm-hmm. to provide for those grandparents then that's definitely like a shift for sure
0: yeah um and just social implications it just caused it causes friction kind of looking more um it causes friction between developed and Less developed countries, obviously, we said for for obvious reasons, stated before, but there's also government officials throughout a couple different African countries that they interviewed. And they were talking about this idea that the West is trying to spread, spreading out fertility decline, having less children. Uh, They're spreading this idea. Yet African countries, at least from these parliament, there's one parliament member. They're like, these ideas are yours. Like Mm. we have ideas and you're just trying to force it upon us. This is, and one, and I only use this because it is the quote, uh, is the words from, I think I had her name it was T- Teresa Okafor. Um, she said, it's a new form of, it's a neo-colonialism. It is taking like your ideas and forcing it upon us and not letting us have our own decisions and thoughts. Like, how can you tell me what's better for my country? You know? And so social implications, um, spread way further than just what we mentioned is trying to keep this a uh, kind of, a, like I said, a teaser. Let's talk about environmental implications. So this is where a lot of people get this idea of, um, well, there's less people, there's less carbon greenhouse gases, there's less effect on the environment. Hans Rosling has this really great presentation. It's kind of like a TED talk, but it wasn't really a TED talk he did it in 2012. Um, he had this graphic that was showing that the richest 3 billion people in the world used 85% of greenhouse gases. The richest 3 billion people in the world have some of the lowest fertility rates, have some of the lowest amounts of children. The lower 4 billion people, which have some of the highest fertility rates, use 15%. Mm. So Hans is more saying along the lines of, well, it's not really so much a fertility, non-fertility issue. It's truly a class issue. Mm. The richer you are and you're trying to tell other people not to use greenhouse gases... What's that about? Like you're the one who's really causing the greenhouse gases to to happen. So that that's one of the arguments um, against the idea that more children mean more greenhouse gases. Although it it makes logical sense, you know, especially here in America. Like but more on children, global scale. On a global scale, it's it's a class issue. It's not a it's not a, a fertility issue. It also depends slightly. Environmental also depends more so on how the resources are being used. For the children and for the population. For example, this idea is when we talked about the divorce revolution, families getting divorced, now they're splitting into two separate houses. They're not having really children maybe, but they're splitting into two separate houses. That's wasting a lot more gas than if they had stayed together and had one child Mm -hmm. because they'd still have all that, all their resources being centralized. Having a child is not as environmentally costly as having a divorce
1: and now having to have two homes running at full power. It's not like, oh, we had a kid, time to chop down an acre. But if you split up two houses, then that's two houses you have to provide power for.
0: Yeah. Uh, in 2005, environmental waste from divorce in the U.S., 73 billion kilowatt hours and 600 billion gallons of water because of divorce. Now, that's not like, this is a discussion of divorce, but that idea... Of like children are causing more issues. There's actually different social things that are happening that cause more for environmental effect. But I understand the logic behind less children, less greenhouse gas. There, there's research that would suggest that that's there's valid claims in it. And even um, <clears throat> the professor who wrote that book from Stanford, the one who wrote about population, the population bomb, he was talking about the idea that if the if the West and the globe really doesn't find a way to cope with the population, decli- Sorry, the population decline, there will be problems environmentally. Um, mm-hmm. The hope is that as the population declines, we find ways to do things with the environment, we find ways to help with the economy. He also mentioned the economy and social issues. There was this idea that as long as we're trying to be proactive with it, it should work out, but there was kind of this, if it doesn't, it's gonna be real bad. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be real bad for the globe to have a declining and population. Yeah. Your last two things, so government response and incentives, you can, there's so many resources to look up, Uh, how the government is responding, we already talked about the UN, they're actually praising fertility, and they're actually trying to spread, um, it's called reproductive and family education to developing countries to try and limit it, the amount of children that are being born, and once again, it's in hopes that these families would be able to provide for the children that they have. It is better to have two children that you can both feed properly as opposed to having five children that you can only feed three well and two have to go hungry every night. Right.
1: It's an it's the motive is like the UN and the western world aren't just like monsters who are trying to, you know, kill off the human race. It's it's born out of a solid motive of wanting to end poverty. <clears throat> But, but the
0: implications that come from that not being done well. That's where the problem is. Yeah, that's where there could be a problem there. Some of the government responses, like Europe is, they're a completely different place right now. Europe is trying to increase its population. Um, they realize that they are not prepared for the working class to be very small compared to the aging population. In some places, like Sweden, Sweden offers, I think it's like over a year of paid maternity leave, which is... Awesome. That's great. But at the same time, women are getting hired less because what business wants to pay for someone to not be working there for a year? Right. Um, now, there are ways to do it successfully and there are ways to help with the economy and keep it going as well as allowing there to be children, enough, like enough children to replace the population.
1: Cue the Denmark commercial. <laughs> Cue the Denmark commercial. The
0: Denmark <laughs> commercial, if you haven't seen it, do it for Denmark. It is it is wild. It's great. Maybe uncomfortable. <laughs> I I do want to give a little bit of credit to Yoshiharu Izaki. He's the mayor of Nagarayama City. It's close to Tokyo, and Japan has had a declining birth rate for years. They they actually have had for a couple of years now. They've had more deaths than births. Like they are a true declining. Population. And since they don't do a lot of immigration on large scale. They are a true declining population and they're the third largest economy. So they are really trying to figure out ways to solve this. Well, Yoshiharu, he's the mayor of the city and he's actually found some creative ways to appeal to working mothers and women who want to be mothers, but don't want to put their career on the back burner. Kind of a train station daycare. It sounds really sketchy, but it's because it has, it's a very poorly named idea. Essentially trains, I was in Tokyo, like trains are used to get everywhere. And so what's happening is mothers are taking their children to the train station, dropping them off at a – really they call it a daycare, but it's really more of a transit service in and of itself of responsible adults who take care of children. And they get them to their school, take them to school, pick them up, and bring them back to the train station. So it's a way for working mothers to still be working but also be close enough and know that their children are in proper care. Mm-hmm. And so there's some – and he's actually seen – uh, he oversees uh, uh, Nagarayama city is arguably the fastest growing population in Japan, only at a 1.6 fertility rate, but still that's greater than the negative 0.7% that the country faces as a whole. So I do want to just give some credit to what Mayor Azaki is doing. Kind of already went over my time and I feel like I haven't done a great job of, of keeping this succinct and single-minded. There's just so much information, but just some um, predictions for the future. Uh, just things to think about. If you look into these things, you will hear some conflicting information. Mm -hmm. It's a controversial topic. The thing that I realized most, though, was what are your beliefs on people? Because Hans Rosling was, he did a, he does a fantastic, if you have an hour, listen to his, it's not really a TED talk, but it's available on YouTube. You type in Hans Rosling, do not panic. He goes over a lot of things. Um, But there's quite a bit on population and fertility. And, He Was so positive because his population research was showing that we will plateau at a certain amount of children born per year, that it won't decline any further, but there'll be a plateau. And yes, because you know, some people ask, Well, why is the population still growing if our fertility rates are dropping? Like, this is crazy, like, the math doesn't add up. Well, as one of my favorite quotes I heard was, Population is still growing though fertility rates are dropping, not because we're not reproducing like rabbits, but it's because we stopped dying like flies. Mm. Like we are like the, I mean, I remember when I was first hearing about life expectancy, it was 70 for a man. It was 70. Life expectation, 70. Now it's up to like 78 or 80. Longevity. Yeah, longevity is way higher, you know? And so what Hans is saying is that, yes, our population is going to increase. He thinks to about 12 billion. Uh, Maybe 11 billion, 12 billion, and then it's just going to plateau, and we're just going to keep at a 2.1. We'll eventually we're at I think the globe at that point was at 2.5 fertility, which is still above. That means we're still growing as a as a as a globe, um, the human race. But it's looking like it's still going to continue to decline over time, Um, and so that is that's one thing is that if it does, if people do stay at a 2.1 and we stay at 11, 12 billion and And the necessary changes are made technologically and socially to accommodate for that. Um, Better farming practices, an area that have not historically had great farming practices, can help provide for the entire $12 Mm. Others who were more skeptical on humans not just being very self-absorbed and causing those cycles and just lowering them out into more one-child-per-woman type of reality, type of future, like that is going to have large-scale problems that the future generations will have to figure out. One interesting thought that was kind of shared was that, and this was a little bit older of a statistic, in 2009 is when it was announced that there may be an increase of people of faith, not just saying we think of Christian, but Jewish people, Christians, Muslims, people of faith whose faith, especially in the Christian religion, there is a order of be fruitful and multiply. And so some believe that there will be an increased amount of religious people in the world. So Christian religion
1: is passed traditionally through family members, teaching Mm -hmm. kids.
0: Yeah. And especially if their religion is discussing having children and it's a Mm -hmm. command and it's something they are to do and and to obey, then they're going to be more likely to have children than those who would not because of a religious reason. And so that's one researcher's uh, prediction, but I mean, that was, again, that was 10 years ago. He made that prediction. So I'd like to see where that stands now. But yeah, if uh, I know that was a lot and I feel like I was jumping around. I try to keep single-minded, but uh, it's it's just so much information. If you want to learn more, some of my recommendations, um, Demographic Winter by Rick Stout and The Demographic Bomb by Rick Stout. It's a two-part documentary. I know The Demographic Bomb is, lo- is on Amazon Prime for those who have it. But it's made by one person. It's a, it's a ton of, of researchers and scientists have come together and economists have come together to to do it. And so it's not just like one guy, but it's one guy is the director and producer. So you may be getting more of his opinions on things. So to, uh, to continue it up, um, I would say Hans Rosling, do not panic. It's on YouTube. He has his own views on it. And it's a more optimistic view, which is it's good to balance out. Uh, and then I would definitely recommend Japan's demographic time bomb. It is a piece by CNA uh, that they did, I think, in 2019, and it's really it's really eye-opening to Japan. I just have a heart for Japan, so uh, if the, if you're interested in that, like, please uh, look into that. It's on YouTube as well. Uh,
1: do you have any questions? Or no? I mean, again, you did. You, this is a topic you've been passionate about for years at this point, um, so I always have a a great time listening to your, your research and your thoughts on it. Um, But yeah, what is, I guess if I have one question, you said that your views on population decline um, say a lot about what your view, how you view people. How do you view people? How do you view population decline? Hmm. What is your, what's your speculation? What is your prediction?
0: Hmm. That's a great question. And it's one that I have been challenged when I first started sharing it, I've been challenged to to think a little bit more broadly. I believe that it depends on a person's individual morals and a person's individual responsibility. And if it continues down what I've experienced in my life of people being a little bit more prone to being self-centered, and I don't mean that in just like a mean way, like self-centered, I feel like it does have a negative connotation, but really the idea of caring for oneself in ways that may not be appropriate for the entire human race, then I think that there will start to be, we will see a decline. And I know that government laws and incentives aren't enough. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen that. That's why they keep making those Denmark commercials, because they're not working. <laughs> um, and so my my prediction is that there will be a decline eventually, and that it, I don't think it's going to get to a point where it's going to be too late. Um, to, to change it, but I think it's going to be something that will affect economies, and that's probably when it's going to start to be bigger. And so I think once it starts to affect people's economic positions, there might be a call for change that I think people are starting to listen to. But there's also we've talked about a bunch of stuff with medically trying to lengthen people's lives longer than 100 plus years through robotics. So who knows what will happen in the future. So uh, my prediction is that. We will have some sort of decline, but I don't think it's going to be, I don't know if we'll ever be back to 7 billion um, or 6 billion. Thank you for listening to the Dimes Alone podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. This podcast was created for the purpose of gathering friends together to discuss topics they are passionate about. If you enjoyed the podcast, share the love with a friend. Follow us on Instagram at Dimes Alone. And if you're interested in coming on the podcast or have thoughts on something we should discuss, please DM us. We appreciate y'all and we'll see you next time.